Happy Sunday, West Village family. How's it going out there in internet land? Uh, my name is Chris, uh, one of the leaders here at West Village. I uh, have the joy and privilege of teaching and preaching the Bible. and just want to extend uh, a special welcome to you, especially if you're new. Uh, we've had a lot of new people joining us since we've gone online. And I realize in this season we're in right now, we're having some uh, in-person gatherings in-person gatherings, and some online gatherings. And if uh, you're joining us online, I just want to welcome you uh, to our gathering, to our online gathering. Uh, typically what we do is we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We've been going through uh, the Gospel of Matthew for some time, but we're going to hit pause in this season uh, of the life of our church and just do a bit of a, a topical series where we talk about the four rhythms that we call one another to live out as the church. Uh, we're calling this series We Are West Village, and the four rhythms are gather, go, give, and grow. Uh, and we feel like this time, this time in the life of our church uh, is a really good opportunity for us to come back to these four core rhythms that not just our church, but really the Bible says all Christians, all time, all churches, all places should be living out. And let me just timestamp this for us. We're uh, in the month of August. It is uh, 2020, we are roughly uh, six or so months into a global pandemic. And one of the real uh, challenges facing the church in this moment that we find ourselves in is that everything we've known has to some degree uh, been changed. Uh, and so the, the form and function of the way that we have typically lived out what it means to be the church has uh, in a very real way been uh, taken from us. Not, not because we're under persecution, not because the government's out to get us or anything like that, just because of the reality of where we find ourselves. And so what we as a church have been forced to come back to ask the question, in, in this moment is how do we live out what it means to be the church right now in this particular time uh, and, and in the way that we have been restricted can we still do all the things that Jesus has called us to do and, and here's the beautiful thing about the gospel here's the, and we've been saying this uh, since the very beginning of this global pandemic is uh, you cannot shut down the church. You, you cannot stop uh, Jesus's mission from going forward. He says in Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that includes a global pandemic. And so really in this series, the question we're asking is, what does it look like in this moment that we find ourselves in? What does it look like to be the church? What does it look like to live out Jesus's mission? And I have the privilege of preaching, speaking on the topic of go, the, the rhythm of go. So if you have a Bible, we're actually going to be in Matthew's gospel. We're going to go right to the end of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. It's a verse uh, that I have preached a number of times. It's a, it's a passage of scripture that is, is very near and dear to the hearts of those of us who call West Village home. Uh, it's, it's a very significant passage uh, through in the story of God, in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so go to Matthew chapter 28, right at the very end, we're going to pick up, uh, we're going to pick up in verse, uh, we're going to go to verse 18 to start, okay? And as you, as you turn there, let me just set this up. Uh, what we are about to see are the last words that Jesus spoke in the gospel of Matthew before he ascends into heaven. So just to set the context up, Jesus has come, he's lived, he's done ministry, he's called his disciples to follow him. They have followed him. Uh, he's gone to the cross. He's been buried. He's resurrected from the grave. He's been with them, teaching them, and he's about to leave. And these are his final words, his last words. 
And we know that last words are very, very significant. I mean, at this point, Jesus could have said anything. He could have said anything to his disciples. So these, these words are important, but, but there's something else that's significant about the words that Jesus is going to speak here. Here, Jesus, I'll just give you, okay, I'll kind of spoiler alert here, okay? Here's what Jesus is going to tell his disciples. He's going to tell them that they are to go out and make more disciples. They're going to go to the whole world and make more disciples. And there's this reality that's etched into what Jesus is about to say to his disciples, that they are to teach others to obey everything that Jesus has commanded them. So what that means is Jesus' disciples are to go out and teach others to follow Jesus, but that includes the command to go and make other disciples. And so there's this kind of ripple or multiplication effect of what it means to make a disciple. You, you, if you're going to be a disciple, you make a disciple who also makes a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple. Now, here's my point in saying all this. If you're hearing this and you're a follower of Jesus, this is this is beautiful. Just just let this sit with you for a second. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, the reason that you are a follower of Jesus, or at least one of the reasons, I mean, obviously it's the spirit of God who saves people. It's the spirit of God who opens up uh, the eyes of our heart, if you will, and saves us. But he uses people to do that. That's what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans where he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So here's my point. As we go to Matthew chapter 28, as we hear Jesus' call to us to go and make disciples who make disciples, the reason you're here, the reason you're listening to this, the reason you know Jesus, the reason you're following Jesus, the reason you love Jesus is because somebody else took this seriously. The, the first disciples who heard it took it seriously. They told somebody else who took it seriously, who told somebody else, who told somebody else. And for the last 2,000 years, this has been happening. And somebody took it seriously enough to tell you about Jesus. And the Spirit of God used that person and those words to convert your heart, to give you a new heart, that your sin might be forgiven, that you might have a restored relationship with God. And here's the question that I want to ask as we go into Matthew chapter 28. What if we were to take it just as serious? What if we were to heed the words of Jesus and to go and make disciples? We say all the time at West Village, right? Our mission is very simple. We want to make Jesus known. I mean, look at, look at this. City of Victoria, this is, the, this is Langford behind me here. We want to make Jesus known in Langford. We want to make Jesus known in the city of Victoria. We want to make Jesus known in the world. How are we going to do that? And this is... What our vision is, is we want to see gospel saturation. We want to see the city of Victoria saturated with the gospel. And what that means, it's really simple. Simple, but, but difficult to achieve. But, but here it is. We want every man, woman, and child to have a daily encounter with Jesus and his church through word and deed. How does that happen? It happens by you and me taking seriously what we are about to hear. What would happen if Jesus' church... If we took this seriously, friends, I, I believe Jesus would use us to change the city. So let's jump in. Here we go. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, on the rhythm of go, here is what we see. Then Jesus came to them being his disciples, and he said to them, all authority in, on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So let's stop there. Jesus starts and he says, before he gives us the command to go and make disciples, before he, he tells us he's going to send us, he first says, I want you to know that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, there's this reality that we, we have to wrestle with as we interact with Jesus, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not a follower of Jesus. And that is this, that Jesus has all authority. And what that means is that Jesus 
is Lord. Now, why is that something we need to wrestle with? Well, because here's what I would argue or contend. We love Jesus as Savior. We love the Jesus who rescues us from our sins, who died on the cross for us, who loves us, who offers us grace and offers us mercy and came to our rescue in our dire place of need. But when it comes to Jesus as Lord, that starts to rub against us. When it comes to Jesus as Lord, the one who has all authority, the one who's going to start calling the shots in our lives, we're not so sure if we like that. But here's the reality that that we do have to indeed grapple and wrestle with. Jesus is both Savior and Lord. He cannot be just Savior and not be Lord. You see, the reality is this. What makes Jesus our Savior is that he came from heaven to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in our place for our sins. And he was buried in the grave for three days. And he rose again, resurrected to new life. And it is that act... It is that reality that makes him, that causes him, that allows him to be our savior. We love that about Jesus. But make no mistake about it. It is that same very act that gives Jesus the right to say that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. It is that act that makes Jesus Lord. And so to reject Jesus as Lord is to also reject him as savior. To say, I want Jesus as Savior, but I don't want him as Lord, is, is a, it's, it's a false dichotomy. It's a paradox. It's like saying, I'm gonna, I want to go swimming in this wonderful lake, and I just don't want to get wet. Can't do it. If you're going to swim, you got to get wet. That's how the game works. Same thing is true with Jesus. So, so what does that mean for us? Well, it means this, if Jesus is Lord, if he has all authority, if all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him and he has that authority and we put our faith, hope and trust in him as savior and he is indeed Lord over our lives, then here's what that means. He gets to call the shots. His priorities now become our priorities. It's not as if we're adding Jesus to our already awesome lives, but rather it is that we are humbly submitting ourselves to the authority of Jesus Now, the beautiful reality is this, that he is indeed Savior. He's Lord, but he's Savior. He's loving. He's gracious. He's kind. He's he's gentle with us. He's forgiving of us. But he does get to call the shots. So Jesus says, I'm Lord, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then look at what he says next. Therefore, in other words, in light of that Bible reading tip, whenever you come to the word therefore, you should always ask the question, what is that therefore? In other words, what Jesus just said now is going to have massive implications into what he is about to say. Look at what he says. Therefore, go. Jesus says, go. Now, what does he mean there? In the Greek, this is written in a particular way. It's a, it's a part of, participle phrase, meaning this. There's this ongoing reality to the word go. That's our word, right? That's our word for today. It's go. And, and what Jesus is saying here, and, and another way this could be translated is, is as you go or as you are on your way going. In other words, this isn't a one-time go. This isn't a, this isn't a you know, go, go one day, go for a moment, go on a missions trip. This is a, this is a go all the time. 
there is this reality to what it means to be a follower of Jesus that we are sent, that, that Jesus sends us. There's a sending nature to the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Just think about this with me for a second. This is the very inception of Christianity. This is Jesus about to send his disciples to go and do everything that he's been teaching them for the last three and a half years. This is functionally his first command or first set of marching orders. And what does he do? He sends them. This is in every way a part of the DNA of what it means to follow Jesus. I want you to notice something. He doesn't say once you're spiritually mature, then you're ready to go. He doesn't say once you've become a member of a church, then you are ready to go. He doesn't say uh, once you've taken a class, then you're ready to go. He says go. He says go. You might be brand new to following Jesus. He says go. Uh, you, you, you might be on the very front edge of this journey. He says, go. This isn't for just the spiritually mature Christians. This isn't for a, a certain set of class of Christians. This is for all Christians of, of all time. Uh, there's some who are going to hear this, and maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. You said, yeah, I, I did my going. My going happened, right? And, and now it's time for someone else to go. It's not what Jesus says. In your DNA, core to who you are if you are a follower of Christ is this going reality that we are the sent people of God sent to go and make disciples we'll talk about that in just a second but you cannot dismiss the reality that to be a follower of Jesus means to be one of his sent ones there's a quote by a, a Canadian missiologist by the name of Alan Roxborough and he says this this beautiful quote I think this articulates very clearly what Jesus is saying here. Uh, he says, you simply cannot be a disciple without being a missionary, a sent one. For way too long, discipleship has been limited to issues relating to our own personal morality and worked out in the context of the four walls of the church with its privatized religion. In doing this, we have severely neglected our biblical mandate to go and make disciples. Uh, we have narrowed the gospel message to just being about us the fact is that you cannot make a disciple without being a missionary no mission is no discipleship it is as simple as that or as Charles Haddon Spurgeon the great Puritan preacher says more succinctly every Christian uh, every Christian sorry is either a missionary or an imposter there is a inherent reality that God is ascending God. We see this right in the book of Genesis where he sends Adam and Eve to go and be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and subdue it. That's the vision of gospel saturation, that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what it says in the book of Habakkuk, chapter two, verse 14. That was God's plan in the garden. And then he, when Adam and Eve fail at that plan, he gathers the nation of Israel. And through the nation of Israel, what does God try and do? He tries to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. He blesses them so that they can be a blessing to the nations. Then Jesus comes on the scene. He gathers his disciples. He sends them to go and make disciples. Doing what? Fill the earth. Fill the earth and subdue it. To go and fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Jesus sends us, his church, to go be the ongoing incarnation of Jesus on the earth. 
we see this right in the very essence, right in the very heart of who God is, that God the Father sends God the Son, and then God the Son sends the Holy Spirit to pursue us. He is ascending God. We are a missionary people. It is who we are. Well, one of the things I love about our church is this is etched into the very ethos of who we are. Oh, and when the global pandemic hit and COVID happened, uh, there was all kinds of questions swirling around in church world. What's going to happen to the church? For 10 years, West Village, we have been talking about this. This is not new information if you have been a part of West Village for more than six seconds. We have been talking. We don't go to church. We are the church. Church is not a building. It's a people. It's not an event. It's who we are. We live out Jesus' mission in the everyday stuff of life, the the as-you-are-going stuff of life. And by God's grace, we have seen God do amazing things as we've continued to go. Uh, we are celebrating baptisms, or we celebrated, rather, baptisms at the, at the end of uh, July. We saw six, seven people get baptized. Evidence of the church is going. Uh, every single one of our community groups has, has adopted a single mom with our Restaurant to Table initiative. Why? Because we want to be the kind of church that is going. We want to go to where the single mom is that has need. We want to go and bless the restaurants and the, the businesses in our city. We want to, because we have been blessed to be a blessing. Oh, we've seen neighborhoods being changed and transformed as the church is going. Why? Because this is who we are, you and me. We are the sent people of God. Jesus sends us. What does he send us to do? He says, go, and then look at what he says next. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. Let's stop there. Jesus is very specific about what he calls us to do. And I want to laser in on this because we have to get this if we're going to properly understand what Jesus is saying here. What he doesn't say, let's start with that. What he doesn't say is go be nice people to the city, although that may fit in with what Jesus is saying. What he doesn't say is go do good social work in your city. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's very specific. He says, go make disciples. The word disciple literally means student, apprentice, follower. Go make more followers of me. You're not called to just go out and and, and be a, a, a nice person. You're actually called to go out and help other people understand what it means to follow Jesus. But in order for us to understand how to make a disciple, we really have to understand what a disciple is. And we have a definition at West Village of what a disciple is. And and this is how we define discipleship. A disciple is someone who increasingly worships Jesus in all of life, is being changed by Jesus, and is learning to obey Jesus. In other words, another way of phrasing this would be that a disciple is someone who is learning to submit all of their life to the lordship, there's that dirty word again, to the lordship of Christ. And this fits with what Jesus says when he says, go, Right? A disciple is someone who's given all authority to Jesus, which means all of life now comes in submission to Jesus, which now means everything we do, every single thing we do as followers of Jesus becomes about discipleship. So if that's what a disciple is, how is a disciple made? If this is the very essence of what Jesus has called us to do, And a disciple is someone who's learning to submit all of their life to the lordship of Christ. How do we make one? 
Well, look at what Jesus says next. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of who? Of all nations. But listen to this. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, what Jesus says is, here's how you know you've made a disciple. It's when you've baptized them. And in order for us to understand how to make a disciple, we know what a disciple is. And in order for us to understand how to make one, it helps if we understand what baptism is. A baptism is this beautiful picture of us being established into our identity. Uh, This is why we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We We are being established in our identity as children of God. And baptism is this picture, it's this outward picture of what God has done inside of us. That just as a person walks into the baptismal waters, they stand in the waters, they they are placed underneath the water and then they're raised up again. This is a picture of what Jesus has done. This is a picture of Jesus' perfect life. This is a picture of Jesus' death on the cross. This is a picture, just as they go under the water, it's a picture of Jesus' being buried in the grave. And then as they come back up, it's a picture of Jesus' resurrection to new life. But it's also a picture of what's happening inside the human heart. The human heart is being put to death. The old self is being put to death. You are being made new. Your your sins are being put to death. They're buried in the grave with Jesus. His death is your death that you deserved. It is for your sins. And then he's raised to new life. Just as Jesus is raised to new life, so too are you raised and made new. This is why the Apostle Paul, when he says uh, of people who come to faith in Jesus, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Uh, This is creation, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 language, that you are literally being made new. And there's this beautiful reality in, in the Christian gospel that we are not defined by what we do. God doesn't look down at us and call out to us what he wishes we were. He doesn't call down to us and say, this is what you haven't done. He speaks out over us our true identity because of what Jesus has done. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 17, there's this great story about a a man named Abram. And God comes to Abram and and he makes a covenant with him. And he he says to Abram, who's 90 years old, by the way, and married to Sarai, who's also 90 years old. And he says, Abram, through you, you are going to be the father of many nations. Now, think about this with me for a second. Abram and Sarah had no children. They were 90 years old, unable to have any children. And yet God speaks this new identity over them. This is who you are going to be. They have no way of fulfilling it in and of themselves. They have no way of of making this happen apart from an intervention of God. And yet this is who God calls them to be. He speaks out over them a new identity. And this is the reality of the Christian gospel. Is God doesn't define us by what we've done, what we haven't done that we should have done. When you come to faith in Jesus, your identity is now rooted in who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for you. And you are declared righteous because of the goodness and grace of Jesus. Uh, We're living in a moment where people are longing, longing to be valued. Uh, There's this reality within our world in the moment we find ourselves in where where people are just they're they're scurrying they're they're striving to 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 be valued by others 
whether it's your race, whether it's your gender identity, whether it's your sexual orientation. Right now, it seems like in the moment we find ourselves in, the world is just screaming at one another, value me, love me, care about me. Lobbying the government, protesting, rallying, wanting to be validated. And Christianity is so different than every other worldview, every other ideology in this. Your identity isn't something you earn in Christianity. Your identity is something that's given to you. It's given to you as a sheer act of the grace of God where he he just speaks over you that you are loved. He speaks over you that you have value and dignity and worth in his eyes. And here's the thing, and it's kind of crazy. It doesn't matter what you do. But yet in our world, we are trying so hard to achieve, to achieve love, to achieve validation. And here's the reality, friends. It doesn't matter what rights are granted to us. It doesn't matter what others say or don't say about us on social media or about whatever camp we connect ourselves to. It's never going to be enough. Because we all have this longing in our soul to hear this whisper in our hearts that we are loved and it won't be until we come to Jesus and hear the words of our heavenly father in our hearts you are my son you are my daughter with whom I'm well pleased I love you it's beautiful and here is Here is the call of the church. We've been sent by Jesus to go and do what? Make disciples. How? This is beautiful, friends. The gospel is called good news, right? The church has been sent to show and to share with the world the reality of the grace and love and mercy of God, to speak over them their true identity if they would humble themselves and come to Jesus. We aren't called to go out and condemn the world. We are called to go out and to love and to serve the world and to share with them the hope of Jesus. We have been sent to proclaim the good news to an unbelieving world that there is a God who cares about them, who knows them and who loves them. That even though they can't earn salvation, even though they can't earn their identity, even though no matter how hard they try, no matter how far they run, no matter how much they look, trying to find meaning and value and worth in this world, they will continually come up empty until they come to Jesus. It's good news. It is good news. We have been sent by Jesus to proclaim, to live out the good news of the gospel to our city. Uh, so, so let me just put all of these pieces together. So back in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has all authority. 
He sends us, we are the sent people of God to make disciples who make disciples. In other words, this is an all of life reality. And and just think about this with me. I want to make sure this is abundantly clear. We have been sent every moment of every day. We are sent to go and make disciples. What this means for us is that we're always making disciples. We're never not making disciples. Think about this through the lens of how you parent your children. You're not just discipling your children when you uh, when you pray with them or when you read the Bible with them, but you're discipling your children all the time. If if you're in a household with with two parents, how you manage conflict is a discipleship moment. How you handle your finances is a is a discipleship moment. What you do with your free time is a discipleship moment. Everything you're doing with your kids all the time is telling them, it's showing them what you believe is true about Jesus. So discipleship is happening all the time. Uh, This is one of the reasons that we say at West Village that every single Christian is a full-time missionary sent by Jesus to go and make disciples. Uh, Again, I've already alluded to this. I've said this, but it's the reason why when, when COVID hit, when this global pandemic came and our Sunday gathering had to cease, the church didn't shut down because the church isn't a building or an event. It's you and me, and we are sent to go and make disciples full time beautiful picture. Church is always going. It's why we're launching new community groups during the global pandemic. It's why we're seeing people come to faith in Jesus during the global pandemic. But what Jesus wants for us is that all of our life would now come under his authority and we would recognize that all of life is us making disciples all the time. Now, for some of us, this is a little overwhelming. I want to just give us five things, five, five ways in which you and I can at least start. For some of us, we've been doing this for a while. We kind of have a sense of what this looks like in the everyday stuff of life to live out Jesus's mission. But for some of us, this is new. And we're just not sure. We're not sure even where to begin. So what I want to do, just to get really practical, I want to give you five things that I think will be helpful. Okay, I'm just going to burn through these pretty quickly here. The first one is this. Starts with prayer. First thing When it comes to making disciples who make disciples is pray. Jesus says this uh, in John's gospel. He says the flesh counts for nothing, but it's the spirit who gives life. In other words, there's nothing you or I can do. Like, you know, there's no tips or tricks that you or I can do to see somebody come to faith in Jesus. That's a spiritual act. It's a spiritual act that changes a heart to become born again, to move from death to life. Two two ways that you can pray, because pray is pretty broad, pretty general. The first one is this. You can join the the elders and the staff and some of the leaders at West Village by setting your phone to buzz every single day at 10.02. 10.02 a.m. is when we do it. If you want to do 10.02 p.m., that's fine. But 10.02 is significant because it aligns with Luke chapter 10, verse 2. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest because the field is white. It's ready. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more harvesters. We use that as a time to, to pray for the Spirit of God to send more missionaries to the city of Victoria and to raise up his church to be, to be more missional. But you could use that time just to have a list of names of people that God has put in your place to start praying for them. Start praying the Spirit of God would give you opportunities, praying that their hearts would be open to the gospel. You would have a moment every single day where you could pray for people that don't yet know Jesus. Second way you can pray is, and this is something I was just convicted of. I was on a church planting uh, coaching call the other day. And we were talking about this issue of prayer. And one of the planters said, uh, he said, one of the things I've started doing is as I'm walking my dog, I just start praying for my neighbors. And I thought, it's brilliant. I'm already walking. I, I have a dog. My dog, 
needs to get walked. I walk with my wife. I walk in my neighborhood all the time. I know many of my neighbors. I've been living in my neighborhood for 10 plus years. And you start praying. So pray, pray for people that don't yet know Jesus. That's the first place. Everybody can do that. Everybody can start there. Second thing is this, eat with people that don't yet know Jesus. Eat with not yet Christians. Now, this can be a little bit more complicated in the moment we find ourselves in, right? Not everybody's comfortable coming into the house. Not everybody's comfortable sharing a meal, sharing space. And, and we would never encourage you to do anything that wouldn't be in compliance with where the government is calling us and how they're calling us to live our lives. But there's this reality where, like, you can actually start to spend more time with people just through sharing a meal. And in the way our community group has been doing meals in this season is we've been all preparing our own meals and bringing our own meals, eating in a park, and it's been socially distant. You can do that with another family. Uh, in our neighborhood, we have used meal as a massive tool for the mission of Jesus. Uh, right now in this season, we're, we're hosting Thursday night barbecues right in front of our house. We invite all our neighbors. Sometimes we get uh, 10 or 15, sometimes as many as 30 people will come out. We spend time together. We talk. We learn each other's stories. Not always a time to proclaim the gospel, to be sure, but it's certainly a time to, to spend time with people, to listen to their stories, to get to know them. And if Jesus is a central part of your life, as you spend time with people, as you listen to their stories, as you get to know them, you're going to have opportunities to talk about Jesus. It's going to happen. So that's the second thing. The third thing is this. This is really simple. Be a regular. Find a place in your neighborhood where you can just regularly be there. For me, uh, if any of you know me, you know that I go into Pilgrim Coffee Shop. I don't know. I, 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 probably, it's, I probably have an issue, okay? confessing I have an issue I go into pilgrim coffee shop a lot multiple times a week probably multiple times a day okay I'll just be honest I'll just share with you I have a problem I go I drink a lot of coffee and I love to go to pilgrim but here's the thing I walk into that place and every single time I walk into that place I see people I know I know the staff I know the owners I get to have conversations I've had conversations about Jesus there I've had meetings with people there where we've prayed and then have had opportunities to talk about Jesus because I go there and I'm an evangelist I'm on mission for uh, the gospel of Pilgrim Coffee Shop so many of you are there and I get to see you in fact just before preaching this sermon I left Pilgrim because I had a coffee because I have a problem and while I was there I bumped into two people from West Village I bumped into two other people that don't yet know Jesus that I got to have short conversations with and so by going into the same place you have an opportunity to bless the staff to love them to serve them think about this for a second with the restaurant to table initiative that we're doing I get to go into uh, the 328 tap house every few weeks and buy 10 $150 gift cards to give out to our different community groups who are sponsoring single moms every time I go in there they know who I am they know why I'm there they know what the gift cards are for what an opportunity to bless. You could go to the same restaurant and bless the server and tip generously and love and serve them in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. So that's the third thing. Be a regular. The fourth thing, recreate with not yet Christians. You probably have hobbies. Start to do them with people that don't yet know Jesus. You probably take vacation. Go on vacation with somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus. Our family loves to go camping. We love, even more than camping, we love to go camping with our friends. 
We love to go camping with people that don't yet know Jesus. And oftentimes when you're camping with people that don't yet know Jesus, you get opportunities to share the gospel. If you're gonna go away for a weekend or three or four days, you share meals, you share time together, you're sitting around the campfire late at night, again, hearing one another's stories and sharing the gospel with one another. It's a beautiful opportunity to be the sent people of God. And then lastly is this, serve your neighbors and be present among them. What an opportunity right in your own neighborhood where you live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you live amongst your neighbors and you have the opportunity to put on display the glory of Jesus right where you live. I've shared this story before but I will share it again. Uh, We have a couple that live out in Souk, Matt and Bree, who have recently moved uh, out there and they're working with us and we're potentially gonna be working with them to establish a church out there. By God's grace, they're in an apprenticeship process with us. But I sat with Matt and Bree, they've lived in their neighborhood for just a few uh, weeks. And and Bree was sharing with me how much she cared about her neighbors. She was sharing all the relationships she had with them. And she looked at me and she said, Chris, we need a church on this street for these people to hear about Jesus. Friends, here's the beautiful reality. The Spirit of God lives in you. He dwells within you. We are the church. Everywhere the people of God are, there is a tangible representation of the church. There's a church on Matt and Bree Street, it's them. There's a church on your street, it's you. There's a church in my neighborhood, it's me. And what an opportunity we have to be the sent people of God. Uh, For some of us, this can be overwhelming. This can be daunting. I'm gonna close where Jesus closes. Look at what he says, beautiful words. Jesus is so kind. He says, and surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. You hear this and you think, I can't do it. Jesus says, it's okay. I have all authority. I'm sending you, but don't worry. Don't worry. You're not going alone. I will be with you to the very end of the age. He will go with us. The spirit of God will go before us. The spirit of God is in us. And Jesus, he will do his work to build his church through his people and his ask of you and his ask of me is that we would open our hands and we would go we would go let me pray for us Lord Jesus we thank you we thank you we thank you that you love us we thank you that you died for us we thank you that you have made us new and Lord we thank you that you've placed us in this city at this time for this place to reach the people of God who are here, or the people uh, rather here who need to know about you. Would you fill our hearts with compassion? Would you fill our hearts with your love for this city? And as we are filled, Lord, would you send us to go, to go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples? And would the city of Victoria be filled Would it be saturated with the gospel, filled that every day, every man, woman, and child would have an encounter with you? We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. Thank you, church.